Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Hey y'all, and welcome to Touchy Subjects Podcast, the podcast that aims to break the silence that tends to come with conversations around domestic and sexual violence. I'm Sean. And I'm Amanda. And today we are talking about helping men to have healthier relationships with our guest, Kimberly Hill, who is a men's dating and relationship coach. So thanks for joining us today, Kimberly. You're welcome. Excited to be here. And we are very excited to have you with us. Um, for those of you who are listening, we did join Kimberly for her podcast, and I will have a links to that in our show notes if you want to go check it, check that out. But Kimberly, would you like to really quickly introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Um, well, what do you want to know? Kimberly is living in Vancouver, British Columbia. <laughs> She's a dating and relationship coach. I've been doing this for a couple of years now, and my main focus is to support men uh, in two different avenues. I support men who are single to get back into the dating space, usually after divorce or after the end of a long-term relationship. So sometimes they're trying to navigate the dating world after, you know, 15 years of being in a relationship. So they're going, what on earth is this new world that I now have to navigate? Um, so I support them through that process. Um, and I also work with men that are in relationships that are just looking to you know, improve what, what's happening in their relationship. They wanted to, uh, they want to improve their intimacy and the communication. Um, and usually they're looking for someone to speak to before they maybe approach the idea of couples counseling or, or going in that direction. So, um, I'd say that's maybe like an 80, 20 split for me, but that's what I've been doing the last few years. And, uh, of course I host my own podcast as well that you guys came on to a couple of weeks ago called the self-confidence project and uh, create lots of content and short clips and tips and tidbits for people across my uh, social media channel. So yeah, that's me. That's what I, that's what I do for work. <laughs> so, thank you for that. Um, and if you are listening to this and you are on Instagram or TikTok, Kimberly has some great videos that she does on men's dating advice. So check her out on those. I'll have links in our show notes so you can check her out, but they're great videos. And way better than some of those, um, advice TikToks you'll see out there or advice shows that are hosted by men. Um, you know, not all of them, but it, you know, the ones I'm talking about. So yeah. <laughs> definitely check out Kimberly's before you go looking for advice on some of those other places. I, I get an interesting feedback. Like, so a lot of people before they book a consultation to potentially think about working with me, they've either seen some of my videos or they've listened to my podcast. And the number one thing I've been hearing the past few months is I'm really interested to talk to you because I follow other dating and relationship coaches. And while some of their tips are great, because let's be real, there's great stuff out there. They go, I want to talk to you because I feel like the stuff you talk about is no nonsense no BS, real authentic advice, more so about how to really form deep and meaningful connections and like improve your self-worth versus the pickupy line type stuff that's out there that has its purpose. Hey, I'm not knocking it, right? It has its purpose right. and like pickup lines used on me. It makes for great experiences and great laughs and great connections, but 
yeah, my stuff tends to go a little deeper than that. <laughs> I hope anyways. <laughs> Let me tell you, I probably could have used some of that advice like prior to getting into my relationship with my current fiance because not great at the introductory part, but once it's in, then I'm good. <laughs> there you go. Once you're in, you're good. Well, you know, I hear that a lot. It's the, it's the, it's the introduction. It's the unknown of the beginning that usually causes the most fear of rejection, right? It's like, once they like me, I can feel comfortable and more secure, but the not knowing, ooh, that's the scary part, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So Kimberly, what really made you want to get into this work? Mm. So I get asked this a lot, and, and I suppose my trajectory into supporting men is not necessarily a straight line, but um, before I uh, started this uh, coaching practice, I worked, uh, I worked actually across the world. So I worked in Australia, and I worked in Singapore, and various uh, trips and short stints in Europe and whatnot, but I worked in finance. I worked in financial derivatives. Um, that industry is a very masculine dominated industry. So for most of my like corporate and working career, I've always kind of hung out and worked with guys. <laughs> um, I reported to them. I traveled with them. I was one of two women on a broken floor of about 98 men in Sydney, Australia. So I just spent a lot of time relating to and, and dealing with men. Um, and of course, I was doing that in a corporate and professional way as related to my job, but I also built friendships with these guys over time. And maybe it was because I was one of the only girls there, or maybe it was because we formed really nice connections. I started to get to know them better and also witness like the struggles that these guys went through being successful career men, but also trying to balance having relationships and wives. And they also in our, are in a unique industry where there's you know, there's entertaining of clients and there's client lunches and dinners. And so therefore there's late nights. And, you know, a lot of these guys were trying to do the best they could and balance and keep their relationships healthy, but not all of them were really successful at it. And I kind of witnessed some of the difficulties that they went through. And at the same time, I, you know, I wasn't having the most success in my relationships either. So I kind of was taking an interest in this particular topic for myself and, and for, just through the experience I was going through. And um, I then got introduced to a coach for the first time. Um, it was provided to us from our CEO in the Australian office. He said, there's a coach that's gonna come in. This is paid for by us. If you want to speak to this coach, grab a slot with him. There's no right or wrong in terms of the topics you talk about. Um, but if you want support, we're gonna provide it for you. And I was like, sweet, what a great thing to, to have offered to us. Uh, you know, to the employees. So I started speaking and working with this coach for probably on offer over a year, maybe longer. I, I continued to work with him after moving up to Singapore. And guess what all of my conversations were about? <laughs> Relationships and dating. And because that was the thing that caused the most stress in my life and the thing that caused the most stress in everyone else's lives. And I guess it was through that and through the experience and all the other little bits and bobs that happened throughout that year and a half that I kind of had this moment of realization that I wanted to get into a field where I could support people around this subject or at least around their confidence initially. Um, and so I decided at some point 
after umming and eyeing for quite a while that I was going to walk away from my corporate career and I was going to become a coach. And I took that leap of faith and made mistakes for at least 16 months straight while I was trying to figure it all out. Uh, and eventually through a series of other crazy things that happened, wiggled my way into becoming a coach around confidence, realized that the men I was attracting to my practice were wanting support around confidence in dating and relationships. And that niche kind of wiggled itself out. And here I am years later <laughs> doing this work. Um, and of course, another reason I do this is because men are a very under-supported part of the population when it comes to dating and relationship support. At least I found, find that to be true. And uh, men suffer a lot after breakups, usually due to the lack of their social circles and social support as compared to women who have maybe more friends to kind of talk to about it. So I kind of am in to fill a bit of that niche and support system for men that really do need an outlet and some healing around that area. So yeah, here I am. <laughs> well, as a guy who works in a primarily female field, I can fully understand how that the opposite looks. It's like, I get it. But um, I also think it's really cool too, because what I've noticed, at least throughout my life, when I've had relationships, things like that, it's not that I reach out to my female friends for advice because they're girls and stuff like that because I want just I want the female opinion which sometimes it was but it felt easier to have those conversations with them versus my guy friends not that there's anything wrong with my guy friends but it just for me as a guy it felt easier being vulnerable with a woman than it did feel being vulnerable with a guy and that was something that I myself had to overcome over the years and I feel much more comfortable being vulnerable with my guy friends now but it really feels like that's one of the biggest barriers to guys having those intimate conversations with their other guy friends is we have a fear of being vulnerable to them. Yeah, 100%. Now I know that is not true with certain men out there. I'm connected with so many other men's coaches that run different programs and they are some of the coolest guys to be vulnerable with. But I, I do totally understand. It's like your, your average individual who has some guy friends is probably not going to reach out to them first, <laughs> right? You know, it, it may be a little easier to relate to a woman just because of like the differences in, in men and women around how we value emotion and, and the priorities we put on these things. So I do find that men that are, you know, wanting to work with me are finding it easier to relate to a woman when it comes to some of these subjects. And of course, you know, a lot of them say, well, I, I want to date a woman. So I would like a woman's perspective on a lot of these issues. And yeah. So. <laughs> right. But how often is that just their, their way of saying it when really deep down, it's because they just feel like they have more confidence in being able to be vulnerable with a female rather than, you know, the group of guys. They, they may not even know that or know enough to admit that to themselves yet. But I, one of the things it's interesting that we're on this because I have noticed, and then this is not with every client I've worked with because I work one-on-one, -on -one, I get to know my clients very well. And definitely a re-emerging theme amongst a lot of men I work with is um, a lack of 
their connection to other healthy male role models. Mm -hmm. So we have had a big generation of men that have been, or boys that have been raised into men by female moms, like their mothers without their dads being very present, whether it's their dad left the relationship or there was a divorce or dad was busy working. So a lot of the men I work with, when I ask them about their history and their family history, there's usually an absent father there. So they've grown up relating to women more because mom was around and dad wasn't. And that's also a reason why they might feel a lot more comfortable talking to a woman because they just had more experience doing that when it comes to their emotions. So, yeah. Yeah. And even a lot of times, you know, if you do have, you know, dads, uncles, whatever present, they're not comfortable discussing those emotions. So they don't do it with you anyway. So even, even if they're there, you're still not having those meaningful conversations that lets you be a vulnerable person. Yeah, hundred percent. You're right. Like we, we look at like the generations and, and their belief systems and how they were raised. Like, even if I look at my father, uh, he has an emotional side to him, but did I ever really get deep talking about emotions with dad? No. Did he ever get deep talking about his emotions with his dad? Most certainly not. So it's like, you know, we're all kind of doing the best based on how we were raised and what we believe to be right and wrong. But yeah, there's just a, a lack of connecting on that deeper level around emotions and we still see today in society boys being raised to you know don't cry right don't cry oh don't be don't be girly oh gosh don't don't you're so you don't be so dramatic right we hear that all the time and that's still the messaging that that uh, men are being raised with today so yeah that messaging is one of the things that i i try to hit on a lot especially when i'm working with um like youth like youth men is teaching them like if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to cry you don't want to be emotional and stuff like that's fine as long as that's what you want if you feel like you have this outside pressure to not be able to express your emotions to not be able to cry to not be able to have those vulnerable moments with your friends that's when it becomes a problem it's if like my fear of being vulnerable with my friends was deeply rooted in that fear of if I'm vulnerable with my friends, if they see me crying, if they see me being vulnerable, I'm now being viewed as weaker. Oh, hundred percent. It's viewed as a weakness, right? Um, and yeah. it's, once I get to the point where I'm like, they're my friends, like they're already, they're already going to fuck with me about other stuff. Like it'll be fine. Um, I've noticed a lot of my other friends also now feeling more willing to be vulnerable with me. Yeah, 100%. If you lead with your vulnerability and kind of can create that safe space, then not everyone, but some people will also come around and take that as an opportunity to then connect and share with you as well. Right? Yeah, all of a sudden they've got this, hey, you know what? It's okay. Sean's not going to make fun of me because he does it too. So I can feel a little bit more comfortable doing it as well. And it's even recognizing too that like some guys like, when we're wanting to have those conversations and guys listening specifically, you'll probably realize it's easier to have those conversations and people have been drinking. <laughs> yeah, it might be. We Don't have... you get the quintessential, like, Oh, I love you, man. Like, yeah. Oh, let's yeah. solve the world problem at 1am and we're all vulnerable. We... And then the next day you wake up and you kind of ignore the fact that you were all gushy gushy with each other. <laughs> it, it gives for men. It's one of the things that we have, that allows us to be vulnerable is when we're drinking, 
we can use that as the opportunity. Okay, I can be vulnerable now. And whatever I say, because I've been drinking, I can just say say tomorrow, like, if anything gets sounds like, oh, I was drunk, like, oh, whatever. Like, we can brush it off and it'll be fine. But it's often, especially like what I found with my friends, is that when we have been drinking, like, that vulnerable, like, all of us have a desire to be vulnerable with each other. Like, we not even just as guys, like just people in general desire to have deep connections with the people that they're around. When we get drunk, it's easier because we're not worried about that fear. Yeah. The inhibition is, is gone to a degree, right? Yeah. That fear that I once had of being, being vulnerable to my friends is gone because we're all drinking, whatever. It's fine. However, we're not advocating you go get yes. drunk just to get emotional, right? Yes. Don't get drunk to get emotional. <laughs> but if you can, if you're noticing you're having those conversations with your friends when you're drunk, mm. you can use that as your opportunity to start working on trying to have those conversations when you're sober. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know what I'm noticing is a, a, there's a huge trend now of people that are abstaining from alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like I last quite handful of men that I've worked with are saying, how do I date when I don't drink by choice? Because everyone seems to want to go for a drink for the first date. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating to see a little bit of a shift in people that are a little more health conscious and trying to stay away from alcohol because they know that getting too drunk, especially on a first date, isn't always the best way to truly get to know someone. Definitely not the best way to get to know someone. But, you know, you have that that kind of, you know, quick little bond over we're going to have a drink and we're going to reduce our inhibitions just a little and get to know each other. So, um I mean, I'm interested to know, and I don't know if this is something you want to talk about, but what is something that you would tell someone who says that? Who doesn't want to, who is sustaining from alcohol that wants to go out and have a good first date? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's tons of things for a first date. Usually I say to people, the objective is to just spend, you know, 90 minutes with a person to assess and get to know enough about them that makes you clear on whether you want to have a second date or not that's kind of the objective of a first date. <laughs> so I say you can grab a coffee and go for a walk. I say you can meet at a dessert bar and split a dessert. Um, you can grab a quick breakfast or grab a lunch. You can get an appy and just say you're not going to drink, right? You can, uh, I mean, those are kind of the casual first date ideas. Then if you're someone who's a little more experimental and maybe you've built a bit of a connection, you've spoken with someone longer, go on and hit the driving range and hit some balls or go pitch and pot and see what it's like to laugh with someone you're just meeting and getting to know and doing something silly with. Like these are all great ideas on things that are very low cost. I always am thinking low cost to meet someone where it's a 90 minute thing. And then, you know, if you want to spend a bit more time together, you can, but it's not centered around alcohol. It's just centered around an opportunity to get to know someone. So So I really love what you said um, get to know what it's like to laugh with someone that you're just starting to talk to because that's just so important. And I just think that's a, that's just great advice for everybody. Get to know what it's like to laugh with someone before you, you know, enter a deep relationship with them. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, like, is that not, well, not everyone values humor the same way. We may have a different sense of humor, but I would wager that most people want to share their lives with someone where they can laugh and have fun. 
right? So keep your first dates very lighthearted in the sense that first date is not the best time to be talking about family dynamics or past relationships or bringing up traumas and things like that, or even necessarily going down, let's talk about the pandemic or political or religious views, like very heavy topics, important topics, not necessarily for a first date, go meet someone, bond over your common interests, see if you can laugh and have fun together. That's a really good way to identify whether you want to see him a second time. So yeah. I love that. I will also just say, making them laugh like if you somehow accidentally managed to have a discussion about teletubbies on your first date it might work out <laughs> that would happen for you <laughs> all i'm saying is i was having we were talking about among us i was trying to explain it to her i was like they kind of look like teletubbies um and i haven't been able to live it down so <laughs> <laughs> you like you never know right it's just having fun and you know everybody is so different and usually what i'm saying to people is even though We want to spend our lives with someone who shares our core values, because if you don't share those core values, you're going to uh, have a huge source of conflict in the relationship, right? Like if one person values having a family and having kids and the other doesn't, you might have the most amazing chemistry in the bedroom together, but will you last long-term? Likely not, because you have a huge difference on what you fundamentally want in life right? Really important to align with core values with someone. But in the initial phases, when you're online dating or you're getting to know someone, usually we're looking to bond over lighthearted topics and our common interests. So do we like the same kind of shows on Netflix? Do we enjoy eating the same kind of food? Do we like traveling to the same place? Do we enjoy rooting for the same sport team? Do we like doing the same activities? You know, it's those types of things early on that we build a connection with someone on. And then as you're on date two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, you start to really get to know the person, good and bad, because there's always call it bad, call it black, white, call it the shadow self and the self that we put out there in the world. There's always going to be something about someone that you got to put up with, right? So we get to know these things as we spend more and more time with them to then decide, hey, have I seen enough about this person to decide that I want to really commit to them? And then you move forward, right? Yeah. And it can always suck when you realize this person that you enjoy spending time with and all that stuff doesn't have those same like long-term things as you but it's always better to find out yeah then then sooner than later yeah years down the road we're like okay are we ready to have kids and they're like i don't want to have them yeah imagine that i mean that happened to one of my girlfriends eight months until they had the conversation about kids realized they had fundamental different values and it didn't work out so that could have been avoided had they had that conversation in the first month yeah some people think oh I shouldn't talk about that that's too much information early on and I say no 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 you got to be very clear on what's really important for you and be upfront about that because if you're not then it's going to come out later and you're either going to be very pleasantly surprised that you agree on it, or you're going to be very upset that you don't and have to make a new choice, right? Right. Especially those things like that are going to affect your whole life, like mm-hmm. the ideas of marriage or the ideas of children or, you know, 
ways that you would raise children, things like that. I mean, you're not talking about whether or not you want to buy a boat one day. This is like, yeah, this is going to define potentially your life. So mm-hmm. let's have that conversation and let's, you know, yeah. see if we're on the same page. You, usually with the men I work with, because they're usually around their forties, they either had a, a divorce uh, or, or they may even have children. It's like, they may not want to have any more kids. Right. They might be very clear on that. They may might say like, look, I've already had two divorces. I'm not getting married again. Like they're starting to get more clear on what they will and will not want from a partner. And, and even though a lot of them fear that that's going to make the dating pool really small, it actually works contrary to that. They get more clear on what they want and therefore they're able to zone in and spend their time on getting to know those types of people. So clarity is definitely helpful, but I, at the same time, you know, have been told by society that to be a successful woman, and maybe you feel the same way on the messages you received, Amanda, but I feel like growing up, especially from like my mom, that to be successful as a woman, I have to um, be with a a, a man (laughs) and I have to be earning money and I have to be married and I have to have a home and I have to have children. And that will make me a successful woman in the eyes of society. And I've grown up, yeah, right. And I've grown up with that messaging and it's been so deeply ingrained in me that I'm like, oh my God, I better get married because like, if I don't, I'm just going to be one of those dried up, washed out old ladies that just couldn't hack it. And, you know, if I don't have a home, it means I'm not successful enough financially. And if I don't have kids, well, then I'm just a waste of a female body and all those negative things. And so when I met my partner, Andrew, there, especially because I'm in my thirties, there was a big, like anxious desire to like marry him, like right away, (laughs) give me a baby, let me marry you. And then I had to really like ask myself, is that what I truly want? Or is it what I think I am supposed to be wanting? And I've had to really work through some of that and say, look, truth is, I do want to marry this man at some point, but for what reason? It's not because I think it's not a religious reason for me. It's not because I think that that means I'm successful in my relationship. It's because for me, I'm a little bit of a romantic and the idea of wearing a pretty dress and having my friends there to celebrate our love is a romantic notion for me. And for that reason, it's important. And do I want to have kids? Well, I think so. And I think my partner does too, but we're still scared and we talk about it a lot and we're working through that together. But if we decided not to have them, would I still feel successful as a woman? Yes. But it's like, I had to really challenge my own beliefs around what I think I should be wanting versus what I truly want. And I think a lot of people are very fuzzy on that themselves. Yeah. It's really looking, it's really looking at those gender roles that we've all been taught growing up because just on that flip side to be a successful guy you got to make a lot of money i've got to be the breadwinner i've got to be strong powerful tough Um, and if anybody listening has ever seen any of the photos that we've posted on social media they clearly know that i am not big tough and strong Um, i can't be emotional like all these things and like like we like i said earlier it's like if you want to live up to those standards and that's what you want for yourself that's fine just like you said kimberly like if you wanted those things for you that's great 
but you have to be sure those are what things you want, not the things that you're being told that you should want. Because if, if I have to live up to the standards that I don't want to live up to, because to me, being a man doesn't mean I'm making the most money or I'm big, tough, and strong. Clearly, I work for a nonprofit. My partner makes twice as much as I make, and I'm not very strong. But I don't feel like less of a man for it because I've already hit my definition of being a man. I'm a kind person. I help people who need help. Like That, to me, is what makes is making me a man, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah, it can be very confusing nowadays to to try and live up to what we feel our expectations are. Especially, I mean, we're very heavily influenced by our caregivers, our parents, the relationships our parents had, what that dynamic looked like. And uh, it can be really confusing for people that are trying to form their own healthy relationships. And that definition can be very different for different people. But yeah, it, it, 2022, I have to admit, it's a, a confusing uh, year to... Uh, be navigating all of this yeah yeah so really then jumping into the like meat of what we wanted to hit on what are some things that we could do Kimberly to help men have these healthier relationships or be able to navigate these relationships a little bit easier mm-hmm. thousand push-ups a day no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I gotta step it up I'm only yeah. like 50. <laughs> um What are things that men can do to have healthy relationships? Well, I guess the first thing that pops into my mind here, because I haven't taken any notes ahead of time here, is the first thing is uh, define what that actually means for you. Okay, so how do you know you're in a healthy relationship until you've taken time to think about what a healthy relationship looks like for you? So what kind of relationship do you want to have and what might that look like is is the first thing that I would ask men to think about. Um, Because a lot of times, and I always joke about this, a lot of the men I work with, the way that they're dating is like, I call it the spaghetti at the wall tactic. They're just putting themselves out there. They don't really know what they're looking for. They just throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and they see what sticks and whatever noodle is still sticking on the wall is like where they put their attention. And I'm like, okay, not really the best way to (laughs) move forward. I'm so Um, mad that that resonates with me (laughs) and how I proceeded, how I've dated in the past. So mad. Yeah, it resonated with me too. Like, I'm like, how did I get into my past relationships? I'm like, through happenstance, through, through like, not with much intention, just kind of like who I met and who I was attracted to. And then we're in a relationship. It's like, I didn't really think much about it. And I get it. Maybe in your 20s, you don't really need to worry too much. You're just figuring your life out. You don't even have these answers yet. But as you do get older and you get more intentional, I really do want people to think about well what kind of relationship because there are different types of relationships out there and you and we all value different things so for me a healthy relationship is i am in a relationship with someone who i have mutual respect for we both support each other in our individual endeavors yet we also have a lot of shared things that we enjoy doing together right a healthy relationship for me means i get a combination of physical touch from my partner because that is one of my love languages we also have quality time together and, uh, and we're kind of working towards the same kind of life and outcome. For me, that's how I define a healthy relationship. I'm also in a relationship where I am monogamous. I do not want to be in an open relationship. That is a different consideration for different people. So figure out what that is for you first, right? So that you know whether you're having it or not. Um, 
definitely something that women and men need to be working on in order to establish a healthy relationship. Have you both seen on Instagram or on social media, people talking about conscious relationships? A Have little, you seen that phrase? Like a little, little bit. bit. I guess because of who I'm connected to, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, like, this is how to have a conscious, healthy relationship or a conscious relationship with your partner. And I see that word a lot. And a lot I don't of people think we have the same algorithm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the reason I bring that up is because some people go like, oh, what is a healthy relationship? I want to have this conscious spiritual relationship, which means me and my partner, like we do seven hours of yoga and meditation a day. And like, you know, we, 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 we have amethysts all, all around the home and like we never argue and everything is purple and we don't poo because we're just superhumans, right? And like people have this idea that like that's now we're the pinnacle of a healthy relationship, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that's not what a healthy relationship is. A healthy relationship is when people can be radically honest with each other, right? That we can, we can, we can be truly known and truly accepted and we're not afraid to have some of the hard conversations that are needed in order to really formulate a bond that will last through the test of time right because there's this quote out there and the author is mb i can't remember her full name but it, she goes um we cannot hide ourselves and expect to be seen right so we cannot hide parts of ourselves and expect to be really fully connected in the relationship so that's why i harbor on communication as a skill that we all need to learn and that means communicating your feelings with your partner it means communicating what you don't like it means communicating what you do like it means knowing how to ask for what you want more of or less of right? It means learning how to have the ability and the specific words to communicate this in a relationship. I'm not perfect at it. I don't think anybody is, but in order to have a healthy relationship, especially if you're in a non-traditional relationship, like an open one or a throuple or something else, like communication is so important, <laughs> right? You have to know what the boundaries are. And so Oftentimes in my work, I'm teaching people how to have simple communication that we just weren't taught. Like, I feel this emotion and being able to share that with a partner. Like if my partner and I are pretty good at this, actually, if, um, if we've, so we don't live together at the moment, we're working on uh, buying a home um, and uh, we have still lots of time apart, which is great. And sometimes I'll miss him or he'll miss me. And so we've learned to be able to say to each other, like, Hey, I feel really distant from you. And could we, you know, get together tonight and watch a movie? And it's like, how nice to be able to just make a simple request to say, I feel this emotion and I would like this positive thing versus feeling a little distant or feeling like we miss the other person. And instead being like, you spend too much time working or alone right? <laughs> and blaming them, starting an argument, because now my insecurity is coming out, and I'm just going to be a little child and protest, which pretty much all of us do, right? So instead of just learning how to say, hey, I feel this emotion, and I would really hope we could do this, or it'd be meaningful if we could plan a date night, or get together, or have sex tonight, or whatever it is, we usually don't do that simple form of communication, because that is scary, and instead we protest we criticize we withdraw we act out we be passive aggressive we whatever insert the nasty things that we all are capable of doing so communication 
simple communication is really important. That we're all capable of doing and that we all have done and do. Because like you said, no one's perfect. No relationship is perfect. But if you're with someone and you, like you said, really want to kind of make that long-term commitment and, you know, stand the test of time, you have to be willing to look at those things and say, okay, I'm not getting the results I want because I'm not letting them know what I want. Yeah. Such a reoccurring theme with men I work with who are self-diagnosed nice guys and people pleasers. They love to give Uh, They associate a lot of their self-worth and value with how much they contribute to their relationship, to the women in their lives, to society. Um, And they sometimes are getting to the point where they are giving so much in the hopes that they get something back. But when they don't, they start to feel very resentful. What they're missing out or lacking is the asking for what they need right? They're hoping that their partner figures out that they're wanting something without even telling them. And I'll be the first to say, no one can read your mind. So stop hoping that they can and communicate what it is that you're wanting or needing, right? A lot of guys overgive, and then five years later feel really resentful towards their partners. Yeah. We've mentioned many times on our podcast and every time we talk about like red flags of an unhealthy relationships or signs of a healthy relationship communication is always the biggest thing yeah because communication will literally make or break your relationship yeah and it's not just how often you're talking to one another it's effective communication Mm -hmm. it's being it's asking for what you need it's being raw and honest with how you feel it's knowing that sometimes when you have these conversations you'll upset the other person You can't always say or word things perfectly to never let someone down. It's being, it's, it's having thick enough skin in the relationship to know that sometimes the communication won't be perfect, but knowing that the intention is that you're trying to work through something like you're on the same team, fight the problem, not the person, but communication is also being honest with your partner when you don't like something, right? I really, you know, I really feel hurt when you, I don't know, don't text me back for two days. Like, ouch, you know, I feel hurt, right? Yeah, I also say have a willingness to admit when you are wrong as well. Oh yeah, that one for sure. Because if you're having, if you're talking to somebody and they're saying, hey, when you do this, like, I I don't like it, it hurts me, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. The minute you get defensive, you have not heard a single thing that person just said and you're only taking it as an attack. Yeah, you minimize that person's feelings. And there's language that makes it a little easier. Um, I, I always suggest to people remove you out of the conversation. So don't use you because that immediately puts people on the defense. It makes you feel like you're pointing a finger. And take out the absolute words always and never. If you can drop those out of your, uh, out of your vocabulary when you're having these types of conversations, it will make it easier to have because as soon as you say to your partner you're always late right that means that there's no room for them to have ever come home on time and that's probably not true right so the first thing they're going to do is defend the statement and now you're just in a uh and my partner and I get into this sometimes we get into like a battle over the way things have been said 
And we're so far away from the actual issue. We're just having a linguistic battle. Well, if you had said it differently, but you use this word and we're, what are we even fighting about? It's just ridiculous at this point, right? It's a vernacular linguistic battle. And we sometimes laugh about it because he kind of loves words and language. And, and I'm like, what are, what are we fighting about? I forget. Um, sometimes we laugh about it. Sometimes we have tragic arguments about it. But if you can remove the word you, because that's finger pointing and blaming, and you can take out the absolutes always and never. You, you, you never cook dinner for me. You never help around the house. Well, that person is just going to feel so attacked that it's going to usually lead to a big argument. <laughs> as, as somebody who regularly will be in the process of helping my partner doing things around the house and then me simply getting distracted and then forgetting what I was doing, it's now a running joke in our relationship where like we went to bed the other night and I went upstairs to like take care of everything. And I saw all the dishes were done and I walked, I laid down and sat next to her. I was like, I did that thing where I was doing stuff. And then I forgot I was doing stuff again. Didn't I? She's like, yeah, I took care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> so well, like we she's accepting that there's a part of you that's not perfect and yeah. she can still love you anyways. And it's, we've had that conversation so that, when it does happen, like I'm not clearly not doing it on purpose. I will do my fair share of stuff around the house. But when it happens, it doesn't devolve into an argument of why do you keep doing this? It's okay. It's his scatterbrainedness. Let him like forget that he was doing something. He got distracted by something else. I'll take care of it and it'll be done. It's like, so we've had those conversations. So have the conversation. And that doesn't mean that you then get out of doing the dishes because you're scatterbrained. Yeah. Just put that out there. Yeah, yeah. I have this, I have the conversation with my partner about that all, all often as well. Um, he is also very like ADD and will like get started <laughs> on something and then like zoom off into something else. Well, and that's but kind of men, stereotypically, <laughs> one task at a time. You get distracted, they move to something else and the other one's left behind, right? <laughs> oh, right. But then we've had the conversation of, hey, how do I get you back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. do, do I, you know, clap my hands and say, hey, focus back over here. We were doing this, you know, and um, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, it, it's it's a conversation that we had like, OK, this is what you're doing. I don't really love it he doesn't love it because then he feels bad about having, you know, you know, dipped out in the middle of the dishes or whatever. So like, what can we do together to make that better? And that's just that conversation piece that you just have to have. Yeah. It's how do we help each other Mm -hmm. become the best versions of ourselves and the best version of a couple here. And here's another little truth, right? When we choose a partner, we are inevitably choosing a set of problems we will have to contend with for the rest of our lives with them. So there is a whole, I'm throwing Andrew under the bus here. I love (laughs) that pieces. He has 99 out of 100 beautiful qualities I admire. I, I love the man so much, everything about him. He's got problems. I got problems. I know that those things about him, even though they bug me a little bit, I've come to terms to say, this is who he is. 
And I'm not expecting those little things. Sure, if, if he was working on a certain area of himself, we always want to be constantly improving. But there are parts of Andrew that are just ain't going to change. That's just who he is. I can accept those and still love him anyways. And I've got little things. Like Kimberly can be over dramatic sometimes and he knows that and he'll just laugh about it because he could choose to get upset by that. And it could be something that grows and turns into something that he hates about me. But we've accepted that there are things about each other that are not perfect, that are problems that are just going to be there forever. So when you're with someone, know that no one is perfect and there might be certain things that are going to bug you for the rest of your days can you deal with them i hope so right yeah it's just like me being the very laid back chill person that i am and my partner jordan being very like she needs to plan things like it needs to be planned we'll have contingency plans for contingency plans for things i love it about her because i'm not a planner and if something goes wrong I'm like eh, whatever like we'll figure something else out but I know she's got a plan for it too. So it's like, we're going through it right now where we're doing stuff to like plan our wedding and everything. And she's just like gung ho about planning everything. And I'm like, I'll get to it when I get to it. But then I, I must also then had to take that step back. I'm like, she likes to do these planning things. She wants to have everything planned. Like this is a big deal. Like maybe don't be as chill or nonchalant about it and actually do the thing that needs to be done. Like, you know sooner than later so it's like you can come to terms with if you can come to terms with the faults that you're bringing to the table it helps you be able to circumvent or navigate those faults to where yeah they're still going to be there like i'm still going to be the chill lazy person that i am but it's not now a detriment to the yeah. relationship yeah you, you, one is kind of being aware of what you bring good and bad to a relationship and and then just work with your partner I mean that's what you know a lot of us say oh I really want like a, a best friend or a teammate it's like that's what that means it means yeah. that you have to deal with the stuff that doesn't go so well because that's yeah. what makes you a team you're not yes. just a team when everything is hunky-dory and perfect all the time you're a team because you know how to get through the tough stuff mm -hmm. and sometimes we forget that because we see the happy movies on TV when people meet and fall in love and everything seems perfect. It's like, no, a, a healthy relationship will have conflict. You will have times when it's, you struggle to love the person. Um, but how do you repair and get through these things? And um, that's what, what will lead me to my third thing on your question is how to have a healthy relationship is to, despite the chaos of the world, despite if you have 15 children and you both work full time, find a way to have a date with your partner. If that's all, if all you can do is once a month, once a month, if all you can do is once a quarter, find out what works, but make sure to find a way to be with your partner away from the distraction of the mundaneness of life. Because if you date and then get married and that is the end of the relationship and you stop putting effort in well you will emotionally distance yourself so how can you find a way to carve out time to continue to date your partner and i'll tell you about a date i'm taking my man on this sunday he doesn't know yet so he um he's got got into fashion a little lately which is fantastic because in july we're going to hastings race course in vancouver they're doing a thoroughbred racing i think it's thoroughbred racing and it's dressed to impress three-piece suits ladies wearing fascinators amazing dresses it's all about like 
being showy and having a fun day. And I said to Andrew, I really want to go to this. And he goes, great. We got tickets. And I said, but you got to dress up. And he's like, oh, shoot. Like, so he starts looking into different like outfits and gets like excited about maybe getting like a three piece suit made. And all this is awesome. Like exploring new parts of ourselves. And so in an effort to continue to encourage this like fashion side of him that's coming out on Sunday, downtown Vancouver, one of like beautiful hotels, um, which means it's a little fancier, puts on an all you can eat breakfast brunch. So I'm like taking him out on a date. He's got to get dressed up, going downtown to a nice hotel. And it's not just a buffet. It's like all you can eat, like plates of food, like eggs Benedict with smoked salmon and then like waffles with like Belgian butter and then like <laughs> oh, so you're be like fancy fancy yeah it's like like gotta get dressed up like we're we're gonna be there for like four hours eating so <laughs> making him out on a date because he won't he won't he's getting into fashion I'm like great he can dress up and two he loves food and I'm gonna take him out and pay for the whole thing and I'm taking my man out on a date and like this is what keeps the spark and the fun alive in our relationship is we get to do cool things together. And everyone that's like, well, I'm married. You guys don't have kids and it's easy for you. Yeah, it is easier at the moment, but are we going to continue to do that when life gets more hectic? I sure hope so. And if you're in a relationship where you can't remember the last time you dated your wife, you got some work to do. Get out there. Go on a date. Do something fun. That is what life is about. And that's how you maintain that friendship so that when the hard shit happens, you've got a bond with each other to be able to work through and overcome that. So dating your partner is like a, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the things my partner and I try to do at least like regularly is like we will every weekend make sure we get a coffee, make sure we go get donuts and just like have that time. Yeah. And Sean, and you're not the planner. So imagine if you did decide to buckle down, you know what? I'm kind of shit at this. Fair enough. And you like got some help to plan something. You'd blow her mind. So so here's the thing. Here's the thing, Kimberly. Here's the thing of why I don't plan. (laughs) I had plans Mm -hmm. to ask my girlfriend to marry me. She was the one who did it. Oh, bless. Okay. Little role reversal. Fair so enough. when I have plans, when I plan things, usually something happens to where the plan doesn't work out. <laughs> Case in point, I plan on asking my girlfriend to marry me. She asks me first. Wow. Well, very, very, very good story. But that doesn't I'm still mean- going through with it though. So don't worry. I'm still going through with it. I can't tell the audience what it is in case she listens to this episode. She can't know. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It was like, you know, I was working with a client the other day and he had never heard of the love languages and maybe not everyone has, but there's a book out there by Gary Chapman and he introduces the concept of the different languages in which people receive love and he breaks it down into different categories. Um, So everyone by his analogy has a love tank. And our love tanks as an individual get filled up with different things. So the love languages are either words of affirmation. It is either quality time, physical touch, acts of service, or receiving gifts. Now, depending on your childhood and what made you feel loved as a child, you, for me, I love quality time and physical touch. 
my partner, uh, he loves those things. Physical touches up there for him. Uh, so is words of affirmation. So I know that to fill Andrew's love tank up, I say nice, sweet things to him and that makes him feel great, right? He knows that to fill my tank up, we need to do some something quality together, spend quality time together. So it's really important in a relationship to know that there might be slight differences in how each person feels loved and to go figure out and learn what that is so that you can love your partner in the way that makes them feel loved which could be different from how you feel loved. And that's where like communication comes in and ideas around what a good date night would be with your partner. Because if your partner loves like receiving gifts, which is fine, go get them something because that's what's gonna make them feel great, right? But if your partner's love language is a physical touch, then a massage night is gonna jazz that up for you guys. So learning that will help you have a stronger relationship because you're understanding what that person needs to feel really happy and they're successful in the relationship, right? I think everybody needs to explore the love languages, like not only for what their partner needs and wants, but for themselves as well. And I'm telling you, like from personal experience, it can make a huge difference in your relationship. If you're like, I'm really struggling with this because, you know, I keep washing the dishes and cleaning the house and nobody's telling me thank you. You got to let someone know that, you know what, I'd like to hear that. I'd like to hear the thank you. And if you're not willing to have that conversation and say it, then you're going to just keep going on being disappointed that no one's saying thank you. Totally. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of examples out there where one person isn't very physical touchy, right? There's some relationships where someone maybe doesn't value that as high or it's not as important for them, but the other person really needs physical touch. And that is a really difficult dynamic sometimes to work with because one person might be avoidant of it and the other person really craves it. And I'm not saying that those relationships can't work out. They can. You just really need to work through some of the blockages that each of you might have so that you can love each other in the way that makes the most sense. And understanding that is really important because if you feel loved by spending quality time with someone, but yet you're dating someone that's so busy with work, they just send you gifts, you're, you're not going to feel very connected to that person because you're you ain't speaking the same language. So <laughs> it's going to cause issues, right? <laughs> you, as somebody who physical touch isn't super high on my like mm -hmm. love language list, but it is for my partner. Yeah. But both of us have quality time on there. Well, that's good. So that so, makes that easy. Yeah. But so for you, it's like, how can I? Well, it's like, so like we'll watch, like we'll watch Stranger Things or something. We've been binging through the most recent season. It's like, we'll be sitting on the couch after dinner um, and like, she'll like put her head on me there's a physical touch like it's not like it's not like a i don't want anybody to ever touch me ever but we're spending quality time so the quality time part is there so it's the love tank is still getting filled but it's just like basically double dipping for me for hers because she gets physical touch and quality time there you go yeah it's just these little things that we just need to understand about our partners that can create a much deeper connection mm -hmm. because we're knowing the other person we know them 
and we are feeling deeply known and that's what creates that really special bond between two people that when you see those couples that you're like wow they have a really amazing relationship if the outside matches the inside of the relationship it's usually because they really know and understand each other and that takes time and practice and communication yeah so because we are going on an hour here and i do want to be cognizant of your time kimberly as much fun as this conversation is to have um do you have one last tip you want to throw out there I do. Um, I want to talk just briefly on like polarity. So I don't know if this is a concept that everyone is really aware of, but um, a lot of people say, well, we felt like really connected and a lot of spark in the beginning and that's kind of gone away and I don't know how to get it back. Um, polarity, just in a very quick way of explaining this and there, David Data writes a book about this and you can read Tony Robbins stuff on polarity, but ultimately polarity in a relationship um, the way that I define it in the easiest way is like within each individual, we have masculine and feminine energy. It's not gender specific. I'm a, I am a biological woman and I, uh, have very masculine uh, energy at time. Uh, I run a business I'm organized. I can be aggressive at times. Like I can, uh, I can have masculine energy on the flip side. I can also have very feminine energy and be very kind of, um, very relaxed. I can be emotional. <laughs> I can be things that, you know, some people would define as masculine and feminine. Now I, I know there's sometimes sensitivities around maybe some of the descriptors I'm using there, but nonetheless, within each one of us, we have both of these energies and in a relationship, if two people, man or woman are in a relationship and they're tapped very heavily, both of them into their masculine energy, um, sometimes that can create a lot of conflict. If you think of like the analogy of like two alphas in a room, like trying, both trying to be in control and take charge, right. Can cause attraction to fall away. If two people are really tapped into their feminine energy. So like, Hey, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want? Do you want Thai? No, I don't want Thai. You want Chinese? No, we had that last night. You want pizza? Nah, I don't feel like pizza. You can't make a decision because no one's no one's taking control, right? So then there can be a lack of sometimes passion and desire when two people are tapped into that because there's not the polarity, the magnetic attraction between two people. So I introduced this concept for people to go do some of their own research on and to understand there's no right or wrong on which is your dominant energy, but to understand in a relationship, to learn how to switch between the two which means sometimes you're gonna lead and be in control. And sometimes it's okay to let your partner do that. But if you're both trying to always be the same, it can sometimes create detract or like, you know, to not be attracted or as magnetic towards each other. So it's just a concept just briefly introducing at the end that you can go do some of your own research on, but I found to really change the dynamic in a relationship when you understand that and learn how to tap into both those sides. And if you are curious on it, Kimberly does a great podcast episode where she talks about polarity. That's I think I do. You know, go on, yeah. You do, because that is the first podcast of yours that I listened to. Oh, cool. I have listened awesome. to a few of yours. So that was the first one I listened to. Yeah. Um, and really to kind of like just give our audience a bit of an example of this. Um, so I don't hide the fact that I'm a rather emotional guy. Um, I have a lot of that feminine polarity. I do a lot of the cooking around the house, um, like things like that. Um, my girlfriend is the breadwinner. Um, so you can kind of see where those 
things go like i'm more emotional than she is like it's our joke that if anyone's gonna cry at something it's gonna be me um so like we have it's the it's the conversation that we often will have around the on gender roles um so we place masculine and feminine into one of the either, either the gender role of being the dominant one in the relationship or the one who is more submissive those are the gender roles we've prescribed to men and women so if you have an understanding of what those gender roles are, you can kind of see what the feminine or masculine polarity would be. Um, and it's often why we, when we have those conversations around gender roles, we will say, like, if you want them, and that's what you want for yourself in the relationship, it's okay as long as that what your partner is okay with as well. You cannot force your partner. You can't force your partner to do something they don't want to do. You can't force them to have a polarity that they don't have. Yeah, you can't force anyone to be whom they're not, but just understanding the dynamic and just being able to be, um, being able to switch between them as and when it's needed to work through problems together and things like that. Because if, imagine, Sean, you had every specific idea of how you wanted this marriage to be, and then you guys just fought about it for a year because, yeah. <laughs> because you wanted to be in control and she wanted to be in control. And it's like, what what's really the most important thing here right and learning to sometimes let go or to sometimes step up and be the planner when needed it's just understanding that to create that polarity and keep that teamwork going and, and that's really what i mean by that and keeping the attraction there so yeah and it's why when, I'm, when we have conversations on the gender roles too like i will say that that rigid adherence to gender roles and we have scientific studies that show this like that rigid adherence to it those are the relationships that end up having a lot of abuse taking place or abusive behaviors taking place is because when you don't have that flexibility or you don't have that willingness to have that flexibility, that's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Have flexibility. It's, it's required. <laughs> it really is required. <laughs> kind of one of those things where you have to sometimes just pick your battles, like know what's important to your partner and like, in Sean's situation, having this wedding planned and planned with backup plans is probably really important to his partner. So, you know, might not be that important to Sean, but if it is that important to Sean's partner, then Sean's going to step it up a little bit and do those things because you just do that for your partner sometimes. I will say if Jordan is listening, like the wedding is very important to me and I am very excited for it. And I do want to be involved in the planning and helping with it. I am not nonchalant about it. I promise. <laughs> I'm not letting either of you throw me under the bus here. <laughs> you left in your game. Exactly. And that's just, that's the reality of, of a relationship is right. We sometimes, it's not always Sean giving, 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 giving. It's compromise that's stepping up when you need to and also being a little indifferent when you don't need to be and it's just back and forth and you, you guys are all figuring it out right <laughs> well thank you so much for joining joining us Kimberly this is a really fun conversation um hopefully you do want to have us back on your show again because we'll be more than happy to talk more yes we have so much more to cover and that's definitely gonna happen yeah Yes, sweet. Um, so feel free to look for that in the future, everyone, because we will be joining Kimberly again, and I'm sure we'll figure out ways to have you back on our podcast as well. Um, so do you have any socials that you want to throw out to our audience before we go? 
Of course. Yeah. So, um, website and Instagram are the same. They're just my full name, which is Kimberly Nina Hill. So it's either at Kimberly Nina Hill or Kimberly Nina Hill.com. Um, and then of course, Spotify and iTunes, you can check out my podcast, which is, um, my name as well, but the self-confidence project, uh, project, project, depending on where you are in the world. <laughs> so you can check that out. And those are probably the main three places to go learn more about me. I, I got TikTok too, but I post the same videos that are on my Instagram. That's my more active account. So yeah, take a look, see if you like anything. And if some somewhere along the line, you think I can support you, then uh, reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Kimberly, for joining us. And thank you all for listening today. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at TouchySubsPod. Email us any questions, comments, or concerns to TouchySubjectsPodcast at gmail.com. And rate us on your favorite podcast listening app. It really does help the show out. And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects. <laughs>